Hello everyone and welcome to our podcast Uncuff India by One Future Collective. My name is Sanchi and my pronouns are she her. My name is Atanshi and my pronouns are she and her. We are your hosts today and it's so good to have you all listening in. In this episode, we hope to understand and document the experiences of speaking up about state violence and what the individual cost of this could be, particularly for people at the intersections of multiple overlapping marginalizations. Yes, and with this episode, we also aim to expand our scope of and reinterpret state violence itself by understanding what writing about state violence from the margins can mean and what can be done for visibilizing these experiences at a time when erasure or dismissal has become normative. To discuss this and to share their insights on this particular theme with us, particularly about state violence against people with marginalized religious identities, we have with us Fatima Khan. Fatima Khan is a senior correspondent at The Quint, where she covers national politics, hate crimes and social justice issues. She is a recipient of the International Press Institute Award for COVID reporting and an UNFPA Ladley Award for gender reporting. In the last few years, she has traveled through the length and breadth of India to bring essential ground reports and important investigations to the fore. Thank you so much for taking the time out to be here and to share your insights with us. We really value and appreciate you. Uh thank you so much Fatima. Thank you. Thank you so much both of you. I'm really really happy to be here. Uh this is something that i'm really looking forward to because not many people actually take an initiative of the sort even if they do it's usually in really couched terms um you know and not really saying things as it is so i really hope that today we can at least attempt to be our honest selves uh to the extent possible yes thank you so much for saying that and a very warm welcome with that fatima we are also really looking forward to talking to you about this extremely important theme and so i will jump right in and uh why don't we start at the very basics uh fatima why don't you tell our listeners first what your understanding of state violence is and then what have been your experiences in reporting such acts of violence by the state against people of marginalized religious communities so closely as you do in your work Mm wow um you know i think when we go about reporting say on the riots uh or the violence that took place during the anti ca protests or the violence that continues to take place day in and day out is probably taking place in a number of districts right now as we are recording this um i don't think we ever use the term state violence to describe it even in our reporting even in our bravest reporting we don't use that term right that's not the term you'll use um you'll use fringe you will use uh, anti social elements you will if you're being honest you will say people from the neighborhood uh if you're actually willing to stick your neck out you will say that uh these are people who in many cases like i remember vividly during the 2020 delhi riots uh a lot of the victims that i met they explicitly told me that uh we know our neighbor did that we know that our neighbor pointed the mob towards our house how is it that ours is the only house in this lane that is burnt of course we know our neighbor is responsible for that uh but they also said we'll never confront them we'll never ever confront them because we know this is where we have to continue to live so for these people uh the state violence isn't necessarily uh the top layers of the government the state violence is literally being perpetuated by their very neighbor you know so i think my understanding of state violence and violence in general and just marginalization oppression it's kind of evolved over the years uh 
where i realized very very acutely that no amount of uh, oppression of this extent what we are witnessing in the country today take being taking place against muslims uh, would be possible without the active and sometimes passive complicity of uh, non muslims around us um and i think that realization has been really jarring at a personal level but at at a reporting level i think it, i will say it has definitely enabled me to report with a keener eye i suppose where i have realized that things aren't always black and white things aren't always uh, you know as simple as being able to point out to your oppressors what they are doing wrong uh, because sometimes it's your friend of three decades who's your oppressor uh, who's gone and complained to the very recently was gone and complained to the principal that you know you're wearing a hijab despite the hijab ban and it's creating a ruckus in your class and you don't like it that happened during the Karnataka hijab ban and i remember meeting those girls right those young girls and i spoke to them about a number of issues about what the horrific obnoxious stuff the politicians have said um the absolutely like damaging impact it's had on their education and all of that they spoke through and when i started asking them about uh their friends their non muslim friends i think that's when i realized that they're absolutely heartbroken uh by what has happened uh i remember one just said that you know this person i've shared my tiffin with for several years since kindergarten we've been together and then uh, i i saw a bite of hers on on tv on social media and uh where she said that look this is this is not okay these girls shouldn't be wearing hijab and she said i was absolutely shattered by that another girl said that this person went and complained to the principal about how you know because wearing we are wearing the hijab and that's leading to counter protest uh she's really distracted by it another girl said that once she had left the college because she was no longer allowed to enter with the hijab and sit in the classes once she had just gone to pick up some of her books that were left in her class and her very good friends didn't let her enter they were like no 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 don't enter and i remember her saying that i i felt like what am i doing wrong you know what what is it that that is so obnoxious that's so outrageous about me that you don't even want me to enter the class um and i could see that she's absolutely that's something you don't recover from right that's something you will never ever recover from for her sake i do wish that she does but uh, my point being that these experiences really uh break you in a way that no regime change no amounts of like um progressive conversations can really really uh, bomb this but that said that that's no reason why we shouldn't continue to have these conversations uh it's just something that i've i've realized that state violence isn't as straightforward as we we make it sound uh or we'd like it to be i guess so thank you so much uh, fatima for those very important points and i just want to also highlight a little bit about the fact that we're speaking even though the ambit is about religious minorities i really value your own experience um you know your own experience your own identity as a muslim woman in india and how you and so much of your work is relating to the muslim community in india and the violence that they are at the receiving end of um and i think drawing from that i wanted to ask you and you've already started speaking about it in some sense what are some of these far reaching long standing ramifications if any right what is the impact according to you of such violence you already spoke about how this violence doesn't always have to be physical beating and you know it's it's very rarely that i mean it may not be that a lot of the times but do you think that there are long term ramifications of this violence and according to you what are they and what could they potentially be yeah so you know last year i remember during the uttar pradesh elections uh 
I started this series called Everyday Communalism in Uttar Pradesh, and the title was based off a book by uh, Sudha Pai uh, by the same name. And the the crux of that series was um, a result of extensive travels that I had done through the state, where I had found that uh, you know the Uttar Pradesh Chief Minister is routinely and repeatedly making these claims that large scale riots are no longer taking place in the state. Actually, he said that there's been no riot in in his five year tenure. uh which is a ally but even if you say that okay for the extent of uh for 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 the sake of argument if you say that look uh what had what we had experienced in the past in the 2013 muzaffarnagar riots or even before that in meerut or wherever something like that of that scale hasn't happened in uttar pradesh um and for the sake of argument if you agree with that what you'll realize when you're traveling is that you don't need that riot you know that riot every single riot requires extensive resources right uh, it, it requires extensive ammunition it requires loads and loads of people it requires more than anything else the state and the media to turn a blind eye um and the aftermath of it involves a lot of scrutiny right where did the government for fail what lapses took place uh, why was something of this sort allowed to happen uh, whereas when you figure out and it's this is really a master stroke right to to steal the language of a lot of the uh, people who praise the prime minister and his regime it is a master stroke where you realize that look we don't need to invest that much money we don't need to invest those many resources when we can ensure that every day we are creating minor minor very little um incidents of hate crimes right and that that are a result of nothing often times are a result of absolutely petty uh, arguments and differences for example in kanpur right i did this story where there is this basti where you know these muslim and hindu families have lived together for decades um and these two families one muslim family and one uh, hindu family they enter an argument uh by how what is the genesis of their argument it's that the muslim man uh, of the family he had um, brush past the past the rickshaw of the uh, hindu man hindu son right so something like oh why did you hit hit my rickshaw and something absolutely petty of that sort um but the fact is that their identities were hindu and muslim uh, so bajrang dal got involved and bajrang dal accused the muslim man of uh, attempting love jihad with the sister of the man who he had a brawl with right and there is the police records showed that there is absolutely no basis to this but just the fact that there is a muslim man and a hindu uh, woman this is what this is the narrative we end up building chalo that's also fine now literally these are the two houses right next to each other and barely 20 or 30 feet away there is another muslim man's house who has nothing to do with this petty argument with this brawl anything but one fine day bajrang dal men from the bajrang dal show up five six men and they're looking for someone from from this muslim family uh you know whose son got into this argument with with the hindu family and they can't find him and uh, so this their eye turns towards uh this other house where they see a man with a beard walking out and someone points to that and says oh dekh mulla ja raha hai uh immediately the five six men latch on to him they start beating him up they start uh literally pulling his beard 
what's absolutely heartbreaking is that his seven-year-old daughter is seeing all of that and she runs and she holds on to her dad's leg and begs and pleads the Bajrangan men to spare her father. All of this is on video. This video went viral and you know, I do not blame anyone for forgetting this visual because there have been a gazillion such visuals in the last eight years, right? How much can the human mind process and take? I remember when that video went viral, so many people were tweeting and sharing that this is obnoxious, this is horrific, this is, I, I can't, I can't process what's happening. And then there's another, and then there's another, and then there's another. And I remember vividly when lynchings first became a thing, uh, the outrage, the sheer outrage, like today we don't even click on that link when we, when we get a notification saying lynching on this part of the country or in another part of the country, it doesn't move us at all. Because that's what happens when you normalize that violence. Like, can you believe it? Like, think of the basics of it, right? The absolute basics of what has happened here. This man who had absolutely nothing to do with the brawl, quote unquote brawl, chalo, even if he did. But in this case, he had nothing to do. He, just the fact that he is visibly Muslim. He's he, Five, six men start beating him up. His seven-year-old daughter holds on to him. Literally, he's being paraded around that entire colony where he's lived for several decades. Saying, she's saying, please, mat maro, mere abu ko mat maro. And they keep beating him up. Um, and later, many months later, I went to their house to revisit this story. Right? And I met that man, Afsar. He's a rickshaw driver extremely poor family and I meet him and I you know his biggest concern is I don't know how my daughter will ever recover from this I can't even imagine the psychological impact this has had this has had on her like how is she to go on life normally not absolutely scarred by this visual of her father being beaten by men from her own country for absolutely no reason while she's begging and they showed zero mercy and then i went and met those men i went and met those five men from the bajrang dal who uh, who perpetuated this violence and i asked them why did you do this and they said oh you to upar se order aata hai and it's all on video it's all on record you know there's a link it's up on youtube um and it it really just like flabbergasted me that this is just something that's happening. And so this was a whole series, right? So in various districts we went and we saw how little minor, absolutely like um, petty issues lead to something of this sort. And so what does this do, right? This visual, this happens with one family, one quote unquote local issue in one thana. But this video goes viral. The virality isn't an accident. It isn't a byproduct. Right, we have to understand the virality is very much part of the intention. It is the intended scheme. What happens when an Asma or an Ashfaq or an Aslam sitting in any part of the country, any part of the country, watch that video on their palms. What happens, right? It's it's a visual that has completely entered their hearts and brains and minds in, in such a visceral way um, that they know that this country is no longer safe for them. You know, they know that no matter how protected they are by their various degrees of privileges, this is just something that they have to live with. Uh, and that that becomes extremely difficult to understand. And this the psychological impact of these viral videos is something that every Muslim has suffered from, right? There was a story in Scroll a couple of months ago, and it was literally titled, Why are so many Muslims leaving India? Uh, right? And I'm, I mean, the caveat is that why are so many rich Muslims leaving India? Because 99.9% Muslims percent of Muslims cannot leave India because they're extremely poor. They can barely step out of their ghettos that they've been pushed into. So, um, 
these are the you know so when i talk about the long term ramifications i'm saying that these hyper localized incidents um are done with the intention of making sure that it creates waves across india something that a riot cannot cannot reasonably do because even if it does do that even if people do have 5 7 10 debates over it it's something then that enters the court of law it's it's something that people are like okay done there seen that and and that's it right and it's just it's in unnecessary scrutiny that you're inviting on yourself on your government that you don't want you know when you can have in fact far greater reach uh then a riot impact of a riot what then this is it this viral video does it for you yes thank you so much for bringing all of that up fatima and um i think you brought out really pertinent points and while you were talking i was thinking back to like the current state of affairs which you have talked about and uh, i would like to follow up uh with you on that and ask you that like for sure we know that state violence against muslims existed well before 2014 as well so what do you think is unique about this era like you've spoken about what has happened in the last 8 years and could you just talk a bit more about how that has impacted the normal normalization that you spoke of i think at a personal level you will see that like i can from personal experience talk about how uh, islamophobia anti muslim hate just horrible things said to muslims was a completely normal part of my school and growing up right absolutely normal um but i think what the difference was that even then and now uh i think what the difference between then and now would be that there was this active realization from people that okay maybe it's not a good thing to be communal you know like let's be communal but in our drawing rooms let's be closeted communal people you know where today is just such a matter of fact where it's such a matter of pride where it's uh unabashed and of course it's happened because you've legitimized it right where you've institutionalized it uh when you have a terror accused as a sitting member of parliament uh when you have people garlanding uh rape convicts not even accused but rape convicts uh that becomes an issue so you know so when you when you when you see that these are people sitting in positions of power uh praising people who have been convicted of horrific crimes anti muslim crimes uh, you are saying that it's actually a good thing to be this person and it's a good thing to support these activities there is no shame involved you know it's something that i was discussing with a friend of mine um that when i was when a lot of muslims growing up and you talk to them right uh there is this acute sense of shame right okay if isis has done something in another part of the world or you know al qaeda has done something in a completely different part of the world it doesn't matter right uh, an ordinary 7 10 15 year old muslim in some school in gurgaon in indore in bangalore will feel an acute sense of shame as if it's their responsibility um but when you talk to like a lot of ordinary hindus uh, there is no sense of shame even though a lot of their families have literally voted this regime into power uh, so i would feel shame for an activity that you know i have in i have never endorsed i have never voted for i have never supported um that's not taking place in my country that's taking place somewhere else i would feel that shame guilty by association you know but here uh, there is a very clear association that you voted for something that is perpetuating violence against your said friends or brethren or people who from your own country i mean you don't even need to love them right you don't need to love muslims you just need to acknowledge that they're human beings you just need to acknowledge the decency and dignity that comes by virtue of being a human so i think that 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 lack of shame is something that is so glaring to me uh where 
you know, I think it was impossible to like today. There, there are like this section of Hindus you'll see who are extremely vocal, who are extremely progressive, who are talking and thinking about this, right? But that the minute you realize that outside of like Twitter and social media and Instagram, that section barely like exists. Not to say that those people don't continue with those politics, but the numbers are so few. Um, Right, it just saddens me. You know, it saddens me. Why do I have to enter every room and talk about it? Right? Why? Why is the onus on me? Uh, whereas, you know, when when Muslims commit any crime ever, I feel like I I just I like it. It consumes me. You know, but my point is that it's not consuming the ordinary, even the quote unquote well-meaning, not BJP supporting. Uh, Hindu, it's just like oh, you know, it's the sanghis who are doing it. Like, but it's the sanghis who are your parents and grandparents. Uh, it's the sanghis who you end up dating, and you're kind of okay with it. Becomes like a haha thing. You know, it's not. It's not like you know, pe- supporting people or loving people or hanging out with people, choosing to hang out with people um, who who are complicit or, or perpetuating violence against Muslims is not okay. Of course, you can't like. Make that choice with your families or your relatives, but you can make a choice about the conversations you decide to hold with them. You know the kind of things you let them know are okay to be said or not said. So I feel like yeah, broadly that that I feel like when society in itself has gone through that change, um, you can clearly tell the difference between pre twenty fourteen and post twenty fourteen. Thanks, Fatima. And I think every time I'm listening to you speak, there is really so much to you know go back to and refer to and talk about. And it's I'm I'm really you know saddened that it's just a podcast episode that's going to you know eventually run out of time. But uh, just to really bring everything together, I just have one question, you know, a final question, so to say. But it has two parts. Um, the first is you know of course what you do is dangerous, and a part of it can be dangerous for you, for your family, people who you. you know surround yourselves with uh, but what keeps you going you know what is your north star so to say um, and i think the second part of that question is really uh, what are some ways that you think our listeners can really amplify the resistance of you know or against state violence and can ensure that they are playing an active role in resisting this form of state violence uh, i think number one uh, um, i would say that I know a lot of people ask me that you know you you don't sound very hopeful. You sound very cynical. Then why do you continue to do what you do? So I feel like one on a very personal level, I feel like I constantly like bottle between um, cynicism and optimism, which I feel is a good place to be in. I I I don't think I would ever want to be friends with anyone who's like too optimistic, yay, or like too too cynical about life. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, generally, in general, my like predisposition towards like all of these things that we've discussed is uh, that I I sway between like optimism and cynicism and some sort of like hope and complete hopelessness. Um, and that's just like maybe I think the that ongoing continuous battle is something that's important uh, because you don't want to be a person who has you know just sunk their head in the ground and said that oh everything's okay. You also don't want to be the person who refuses to see all the efforts and activism and uh, just general goodwill that people are trying to put out there, even if they're far and few in between. But 
uh, what keeps me going i'd say is that i really enjoy what i do very honestly like i don't think there's much else to it i know a lot of my peers uh, are people who are forced journalists you know like situations have compelled them to become journalists you know because they were on their way to become like any engineers or or ever right they all had different teams and then they realized that in the indian media sucks right the indian media is actively uh discriminatory towards muslims uh it lies it lies through streets about the community so when you feel like all of that's happening it pushes you it compels you to uh take it up on yourselves to report or write or fact check on some way contribute for me i feel like it's just something that i really always wanted to do it's i love like storytelling i love interviewing people i love meeting people uh, those are just parts of the job that i really enjoy so uh, alhamdulillah mashallah um so i feel like being able to do that is just an opportunity right so i i i don't ever see myself as like some sort of a martyr or uh, you know like uh, someone who's doing it because she has to do it i'm doing it because i really really like enjoy it and love it um so that's one what do you think that we can all do to resist state violence you know all our listeners everyone that's not directly impacted by it what do you think we can do Yeah, you know, so lately I've been I don't know it's something that's been bothering me a lot, right? Like I had a lot of these friends. I have a lot of these friends uh from college and stuff who I feel like are not bigoted but they also like don't care. Like they're almost like like they see the work I'm doing, they see the work I'm posting on social media and it's almost like it exists in a parallel world in a parallel reality. Like it's not something that they ever want to discuss or like let it uh seep into their reality. Uh which bothers me like i said right like i'm so consumed by anything bad that a muslim does anywhere but you're not consumed by like the bad decisions your own family members have taken why are you not consumed by it why are these why whenever these lynching videos go viral why you know there's a trigger warning but 9 out of 10 times i'm sure that the trigger warning is only like helping us wage what could have been a trigger to muslims why is this not triggering enough hindus um you know so it's that that really really bothers me like it bothers me that okay you know there are different aspects to it right one is there are a lot of people who are doing a lot like at a personal level either through journalism or activism or something as basic as why don't you go and support your local candidate uh, who's fighting against that uh, really bigoted sitting mla why don't you do that okay if you don't do all of that if all and it's fine you don't want to do all of that right at least use your social media to amplify important stories important work hoping that maybe some bigoted relative of yours will see it enough times uh and it will seep into their subconscious you know but i see them only sharing goa pictures and like ashram yoga pictures and like matlab it's like alag hi duniya mein ho tum matlab you know and it it really does bug me because i feel like so much of the conversation you know of bigotry unfortunately is also quite like problematic and elitist whether it's like oh you know unemployment has le- led to what where we are today it's the unemployed people but unemployment was it's not a new phenomenon right it's existed in india since time immemorial but a lot of unemployed people are not bigoted a lot of like people holding the topmost positions in corporate firms are extremely bigoted 
um so i don't think that this direct correlation that people try to draw between like unemployment leading to like an idle mind leading to you killing a muslim i don't think it's that straightforward right i don't think it's is simple one two three um so my problem is more with like and you know like data tells us that the upper middle class are like the top most supporters of the bjp so that data is telling us something about ourselves it's not telling us about something quote unquote from about people beneath us right it's not um it's it's telling us about our own family members so do something about it right so i today i really do judge people whose social media doesn't ever ever talk about this like progressive politics is not even a realm and i you know people might call this really petty that oh social media is not life but then and i agree but then my question is what are you doing in real life if that is the case right if you're not doing it on social media what are you doing in real life you're not i know you're not you know you're not um so it's it's something that it's like it's it just feels like at this stage um almost like i often just find muslims talking about quote unquote the muslim stuff you know um and that really like bothers me and bugs me and i feel like you need to be able to do this stuff and otherwise right like at an individual level make sure that like a part of your salary always goes to uh, uh, pay the subscription fees of any independent media house any media independent media house of your liking uh support them support their work so tomorrow you don't just complain about how the big media houses have obliterated the small ones and eaten them up so i think that that kind of uh initiative i don't see many people taking uh, i think the last time something of this sort happened where i felt like okay hindus are actually doing something about this was way back in 2016 i think when um the not in my name movement took place where a bunch of you know uh, i don't i am not entirely sure of like the scale of it and you know outside of delhi and bombay how many places it managed to reach but at least it was good to see some initiative of that sort um so yeah i think like things like these would really go a long way but honestly just like talk to your parents guys <laughs> yeah thanks so much uh, fatima i think it's been really enlightening to listen to you and especially try and understand and situate that these issues are not as far from our homes and our lives as you know people want us to believe right uh, and people want us to be convinced and the government wants us to believe they're very much our issue they're very much something that you and i can do something about um, and i think it's been really enlightening to hear from you to learn from your experience and for you to share so candidly what your life and your work how that has you know coincided to shape your experiences here uh, so i just want to say thank you so much uh, for taking the time out to really be a part of this conversation thank you thank you i really enjoyed myself i could go on talking for like hours about this uh, but i am actually i don't know if it's too i think it's premature to plug this but i'll just do it anyway i'm actually writing a book on this on a lot of what i have talked to you about today um because i am angry and <laughs> i have a lot of feelings and thoughts and a lot of what i told you today right like this doesn't make it to my final report obviously for obvious reasons right so i feel like there's always a space for that parallel conversation um and i'm trying to work on it and maybe just for myself right put it on, on paper <laughs> so that so that it it has some place to go i guess 
that's like utanshi said fatima it's been so great listening to you today and i think the passion that you speak from without romanticizing it i think it's really contagious and we will look out for your book and we hope that it comes out soon and that we get to learn no but it i am sure it would be a great read for all of us and i think our listeners would agree as well because we are for sure taking a lot away from this conversation so yes thank you so much for your time uh, and for being here with us today uh it has been a pleasure to host you at this podcast thank you for tuning in today please leave us any questions you may have as voice notes on anchor or in our dms we would love to hear from you this podcast is brought to you by one future collective yes thank you so much and don't forget to follow us on instagram and facebook at one future collective and at one future underscore india on twitter and keep an eye out for future episodes out every second and fourth thursday of the month Until next time.